Hey everyone, Stu jumping in at the front here to let you know that this is a special bonus episode where we just chat about the first 20 episodes of Oops! All Apocalypse is. Because of that, there are a ton of spoilers, so if you have not listened to the first 20 episodes, prepare to be spoiled on every single thing that happens, which is pretty much the first thing we talk about. So, if you don't want to hear that, skip this one. Love you, bye. Welcome to Oops! All Talk Apocalypse, a show where we talk about the apocalypse. This is a fun recap episode where we go through some of the things we've already experienced in these first 20 episodes. 20, Can you guys 20, episodes. 20 episodes. Let me just say, Stu, you were not kidding about making this one an explosive one. Man. Yeah. I get, every 20 episodes, explosion. That's the rule. Nice. Every 10? You guys Ooh, are a little What, what happened to episode 10, now that I think <laughs> about it? Was that an epic? Was that a big episode? That may have been the one where you threw a shovel in someone's chest. Oh, I gotta check. Well, that was a I good gotta episode. Check. That, 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 was may, good that episode. might have been 14. I don't remember. Let's kick this off by a quick recap of everything that's happened off the top of let's my head. Let's just read every every episode just read every episode title, and we'll we'll cover what it's a reference to. Nope, that'll take way too long. There's only twenty. Nope, this is gonna be real quick. Ocean and Book are two friendly <laughs> fellows who met each other in this underground apocalypse. They had some adventures before we recorded anything because we kind of came in after their relationship had blossomed to a good partnership. Things got off to a pretty rough start with book getting kidnapped by a couple of chaos cultists ocean kind of saving him but really only driving halfway there before his vehicle <laughs> broke and taking out one of the cultists uh they made it back while book stole one of the jeeps you guys interrupt me when i forget anything at all because i'm not joking this is all the time <laughs> when they uh stole one of the chaos cultist jeeps and started off on their first kind of real adventure in our story which was to recover a through-the-earth communication device for their friend that they made during that episode, Johnny Hertz, who is one of my favorite characters. Uh, also one of mine, and an associate of, of Frida in an unknown way. Yes. They headed off to go collect this for Johnny Hertz. They learned it was being the TTE was, was owned by a local warlord named Crandall, who talks like a frog. On their way there, they met a good friend Vesuvius. My favorite character. <laughs> Which was a fast-talking redneck character who was quickly won over by their willingness to share beef jerky. When they made it to Crandall, they found a warlord who has a bunch of random bullshit that isn't actually useful <laughs> that it looks like he got from a Sky Mall catalog. They were able to trick him into accepting a trade with a mostly useless piece of uh, equipment by quickly fashioning it into a useful screen for uh, controlling Crandall's iTunes collection, which was the entire discography of weird owl and a massive <laughs> electrical hazard yes and is not very safe uh from that they got the tte and were safe to return to hamlet opening the place they live but unfortunately they decided to go through the sewers and met a very horrific monster with visibly growing fingernails that was not fun for them to play with uh they escaped it made it back to hamlet opening and gave the tte to crandall that's what nine episodes yeah, Have yeah, that's there? that was literally the episode nine. I just read through it. Yeah, episode ten was us going. Was no yeah. episode episode nine was Ocean throwing a shovel into someone's chest because episode ten was Book dying. Yes. So yeah, every ten episodes is a, is a good one. It's a very good episode. <laughs> Everyone only listened to every ten episodes. Back in Hamlet opening, they hung out with some of their friends. They had some good chats with each Met other. Someone named but mostly. Sade. Yes, they met a very important character named Spade based on a mural that was painted presumably by a local underground artist named Frida who makes cool graffiti art everywhere and seems to have a vaguely anti-authoritative message to try to spread. They tracked down this person, tried to figure out what their whole deal was, and didn't get anywhere with that. <laughs> that is true. They then decided to start a revolution. <laughs> we did I'm, I'm, we got like we got something. harassed yeah by, you completely forget the fact that by they, another frog character pistachio jones decided that uh, you owed him a small cut of your plundering and you guys decided to make a very strong stand against that that kicked off a revolution 
as you use Johnny Hertz's radio equipment to radio to everyone and cause a standoff in the middle of town. That was resolved by Ocean, who frequently gets horrific visions, having a vision where he kicked a bunch of ass underground near some large sort of reactor thing. Uh, unfortunately, he also played that out in real life and hurled a shovel through someone's clavicle, killed at least one person, and ran off towards Subtropolis. Book kind of calmed down that situation and then went searching for Ocean, who was not in Subtropolis at that time, but actually crying in his car. <laughs> it's probably our in my defense, worst. He ran towards Subtropolis. That was probably our absolute worst miscommunication we have had so far. I it was intentional on my part. Like I knew that Ocean wasn't there, but I yeah, thought we it'd both be fun knew because book bit. book didn't know. That was the best acting I've ever done. <laughs> Book decided for no discernible reason to mess with that long fingernail monster hey, yet again. Hey, it hey. effectively killed him, but he was able to call for some wolves of the maelstrom to attempt to save his life. Then he blacked out. Doesn't know what happened. True. Ocean went plundering after him and found a group of very high-tech equipped people driving yellow Humvees and wearing full body suits and helmets. Uh, he escaped them and found a mysterious tower that seemed to bloop and bloop out of existence when he broke into there using a password that he found in his brain visions, <laughs> he discovered an, a book hooked up to medical equipment sleeping. They got out and under after way too much conversation, made it towards Hamlet opening, where they ran into a Vesuvius that had a much deeper and sonorous Georgia gentleman voice, which immediately concerned them and threw them into a spiral of confusion that lasted at least four more episodes. Uh, trying to track all that down, they asked all their friends if anything strange was happening, concerned that some sort of body-snatching entity was invading their town. They decided to send Vesuvius to go work with their mortal enemy, Hickory Fleek. <laughs> Damn it. This is taking too long. I'm going to cut all of this. Um, <laughs> it's good for us, though. Their mortal enemy, <laughs> Hickory Fleek, who took him on as one of his security guards because he was pretty good with a shot. They had some pre-existing business with Hickory that they were trying to work out and also wanted to warn him of the dangers of Vesuvius. So they decided to start poking around Hickory Fleek's main compound, which is a courthouse. While they're there, they found a shack that had some very advanced code written in it. They didn't figure that out till they came back and forth a few times, but they figured out there was an AI that was written by presumably Book's mother to combat an AI that was controlling the town or the city of Subtropolis' power to try to trick it into giving Hamlet opening enough power for these people to be happy and cool. When they came back to really dig into that, they accidentally got a little bit discovered, drawing Vesuvius into the building where his torso exploded, taking out most of the building. <laughs> They took his head, which was still alive and working, and was a pretty big hint that things may not be all normal with him, and escaped back to try to recover. Uh, since then, they decided to go solve their problem and figure out once and for all what is going on with Vesuvius and Crandall, so they headed back into Subtropolis, ran into the real Vesuvius, who talked like normal and was very surprised to see this head that looked just like him, and got reintroduced to Crandall, who seemed pretty normal, except for the fact that he has been receiving some instructions from a mysterious printer that prints off exactly what he, what he should retrieve, where it's at, and in exchange for that, he's allowed to get things from various catalogs. While they were there, they were interrupted by the yellow Humvee people who started assaulting the complex, blew up a bunch of the building, and the tide was quickly turned by Ocean coming around the corner with a very large machine gun he had borrowed from Crandall. Uh, they pushed them off and have resecured Crandall's building for now with probably a few dead people. And that's where we're at right now on episode 21. Well, you missed the fact that Ocean may apparently be one of the yellow Humvee people? Yeah, maybe. You've had a vision where you kind of looked a little bit like them. And you just now were in a vision of book where he was looking into the psychic maelstrom and he saw a giant wolf of the maelstrom tackle him to save his life from a rocket coming to kill him. A lot happened last episode. Good God. And I do want to say the first time that book opened his mind to the psychic maelstrom, he saw one of the wolves investigate Ocean's body. Oh my God. I forgot all about that. So my first question for you, Stu, is was Ocean always a wolf of the maelstrom in your in your planning? He's definitely involved with them in some way, yeah. I would say. Was that influenced by my um, unlocking the mystery about uh, whether the psychic maelstrom was man-made or not? Uh, no. Okay. I would say he was always going to be somewhat involved with it just because yeah, I was interested. Yeah, I, I very much agree. It. 
again, I'm not saying he is or is not exactly a wolf or exactly. I mean, he was a wolf last episode. Yes, he's he's definitely involved in some way, I think. And I've always had that as a good idea. I didn't make it happen until obviously. (laughs) It makes sense, honestly. I agree. I think it was clear from from the wolf like poking around at at Ocean's body that there was definitely like an interest there. But as far as like the the man-made aspect of the psychic maelstrom goes, like does does that influence your interpretation of what the wolves yeah. are and like how you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. No. Oh, I think that's a good thing to talk about. So I didn't have an answer to that question until you asked that question. Definitely okay. is the and I think I only said that it was man-made because you thought it was the other one. I believe I just did contrary to what your opinion was at the time and went with that. All of the AI shit, all the robots and that stuff all came from one thing, one single role that happened, I think in episode two. And it was a role I wasn't even going to have you guys make, but you guys were just paranoid where you were leaving Crandall's place. I, at that point you had like, in my brain, you had finished the mission, mission accomplished. I was going to let you guys just walk back all the way to Hamlet opening oh, really? and finish it. Cause I was trying to, yeah, I was trying to rush through that part. Cause I was, this was back when I was more concerned about how long is a session <laughs> and things like that. Right. So I was trying to like in the session and was like, maybe even do it that episode, like do the end of session moves. Oh, wow. Cause that was like your first exponential out. And you guys were like, I want to read the situation. And one of the questions you asked, I just pulled out of my ass that there was a very high def camera that was looking at you guys. And then after that session, I'm like, why would Crandall have a really high def camera there? I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. He doesn't need any of that. So I was like, okay, someone's watching Crandall. Who would have a really high def camera? That all evolved into there's some crazy AI shit. Man, wow. We (laughs) are our own worst enemies. I assumed that Crandall just was surveillance yeah uh, the place. whole reason i was so paranoid back then was i thought crandall was trying to backstab us that's oh the God, whole so you were reason hiding vesuvius's head we should have been hiding your head walking past the camp. oh god yeah. yeah wow so i guess that ties into my first question that i asked and this has been a question that has i've been curious about and i thought would be very fun to discuss ever since you made this reveal to us and the question is what big things were literal and what were figurative in our initial psychic maelstrom <laughs> oh roles. Because you're like, I gotta clarify, you guys. It's a metaphor. And that was like session 18. So prior to then, yes, fairly recently. How, what what big things did we completely take as literal that were figurative? Yeah. And what big things did we just completely gloss over that were literal things we were seeing? And I, I would like to add the addendum to that add an addendum to that question because we've seen We've seen wolves of the maelstrom as wolves outside of the psychic maelstrom, but then we've also yes. seen wolves of the maelstrom as wolves inside of the psychic maelstrom, but they don't look like wolves outside of the psychic maelstrom, a.k.a. Ocean last episode. So, yeah. so the wolves yeah. are nebulous and ill-defined, mm-hmm. and when they were outside of the psychic maelstrom, they just looked like furry-ass creatures, mm-hmm. right? And then when you were inside of it, you saw them Smoky, kind of peel yeah. back their... They opened yeah, their mouth too wide, mm-hmm. peeled back, and a humanoid person came yes. out, right? That was the first time you experienced them. So that was like some of their like shape shifter kind of nature. Okay. They're not exactly what they seem more like that. So that's both figurative okay. and literal in that example. Um, stuff like oceans visions are a weird one because some of it, I'm just trying to come up with shit that may have happened in his past. That is interesting to hear. And then while other things, I want to throw in some more metaphorical elements like the vision you had with a bunch of, that same person repeated in a bunch of rooms that that was someone you loved that was in a place of incomprehensible technology. Yeah, something like that was the vision mm. you asked for. And you said incomprehensible technology right when we were dealing with the AI in the tower. And I was like, Oh, that'd be a cool idea to start talking about some clone stuff. And that would put some fear <laughs> in them. Um, at that point, I had no intention of introducing fake Suvius in the next probably 10 episodes. And I ended up introducing him like the next episode, I think probably a mix between we actually had that vision where i talked about it and then also you guys just kept failing roles to get out of subtropolis and i was tired of it and wanted you back in the town so i was like well here's a real big failure i can just throw at them and say you made it back but there's a big problem there's a big complication there's this guy who's clearly not who he seems and that was a question we got from a couple people actually was did i just fuck up vesuvius's voice and did that turn into that whole thing was I just feeding off of the paranoia of book slash Brady <laughs> to make that a storyline. And that's not fully true. 
No, I definitely, I just thought the first time I made Vesuvius' voice randomly, that, again, that's a character I just came up with on the spot. I was like, they should need a guard. Came up with a random ass name off the top of my head. <laughs> Gave him a redneck voice because that's easy to do. <laughs> and after I did that, I was like, it'd be really funny if suddenly his voice just changed something <laughs> entirely different, but also still Southern. And I was like, nah, I'm going to make it more complicated than that. Throw an extra character in there. But I would say normally when I was running a game, I would have gone way more with the direction that book was leaning. Like when he was coming up with his own connections, I think normally a good DM would just go, okay, yeah, that is right uh, in some ways and add some like complicating matters mm-hmm. in it. Unfortunately, I had basically already cemented that it had to be an AI thing <laughs> controlling this. Right, yeah. Which, which... Oh, I like that definitely... I Because like when I made those connections, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. I was about to say, I like the fact that we are going down a completely wrong rabbit hole. But mm-hmm. at the same time, at the it, there were still plenty of clues that we should have figured it out, but we were just so hyper fixated on those small things. I don't I don't remember any AI clues. Okay, I don't necessarily know about AI clues, but I think there were clues that we completely missed about Vesuvius's true nature. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, that actually brings us to the next question. What what did you what foreshadowing did you put in there for Vesuvius wanting to blow up the place? Cuz you said there are several clues that we missed. And the big one you said was the one where we uh where it was like very obvious that he wanted he we didn't even have to roll when it was to come investigate the server room. But was were there any others? Yeah, I can't remember if I said that on air, but yeah, he when you guys were walking by the server room, you made some good jokes about how it was bullshit that Ocean didn't even have to roll <laughs> to convince him to go into that server room, and that was just because for some reason he wanted to go in there and it was to get information about that thing. He didn't really understand that, I think, is the way yeah, it kind of subconscious. Purely I want to keep him. He's so likable. I don't want him to be a bad guy. He's such a cool <laughs> dude. So it had to be subconscious. It couldn't be yeah. his ulterior motives or anything like that. Yeah. I made a lot of jokes about him not being wired that way. And oh. things like that. Anytime I could, I made jokes that were related to him being an actual <laughs> robot. Even though you guys already did think he could be a robot. Mm-hmm. I did that a lot. And then to me... Again, I'm biased because I realized where it came from. But if I was making books, crazy person board, I would have put that high def camera on there and been oh. like, why is he like this? Or something like, why does Crandall have such weird shit? Like, yeah, those things to me are both. Yeah, that's interesting. We kind okay. of were wondering that. Yeah, I just assumed he was just an eccentric guy. That is true, too. And paranoid. Like, if I was a warlord, I would put a camera on my gate, you know? But it was facing weird. It was facing towards the front. Yeah. I was about to say, it wasn't looking at, like, it wasn't like your typical camera where you, you know, spy on people. It was more like it was monitoring the inside of his own place. Which is why the fake body of Book had a super good version of the back, because you walked in not giving a fuck. But when you guys came out, you wisely Uh, hid your bodies in a good way. Ooh. I didn't put that together. Yeah, so it only had a view of your back at all. And if like if you guys waited a bit and didn't like care about any of this weird shit, Crand- like if you ignored Crandall and started doing other stuff, if you're like, let's go find my parents and left, you would have gotten eventually maybe a book that was like a little <laughs> bit better <laughs> and shit like that. But it would have not been super convincing uh, as being you. I never had an idea of doing a you're actually the robot all along uh, thing. I think that would have been really cool and interesting, yes. but it also would have been a little bit yeah. too out there for a player. Uh, you would have handled it well. I oh, think, I would have but... had a blast with it. Yeah, I would have had, would have had so a lot much of fun, fun with it. Like imagine if we found my parents and there was already a book with my oh. parents. Oh, Dude, don't give him ideas. Don't happy. give him yeah. ideas. Yeah, I feel like one thing. I, one thing that's super obvious in hindsight that we were. I think we were. We were close to figuring this out, but we were harping on it for the wrong reasons. Was the Crandall picking things up that were weird? That were not things that he would normally pick up. That were like cool stuff. We were like, oh shit, has Crandall been strained? What, what's going on with Crandall? What's changed about him to where he went from picking up all these goofy things to now being much more weird, eccentric things that his people didn't understand? Right. We should have probably, we were thinking like, oh shit, Crandall's been replaced. What's going on with Crandall here? Vesuvius, yeah. we got fake Vesuvius now. Is there a fake Crandall? And we were so fixated on that, I guess we didn't even think of the most obvious answer that Crandall isn't gathering things for himself. He's being told to get stuff. Because when we met Crandall, yeah. he's not he doesn't seem like the sharpest tool in the shed. So 
Why would he be having all this shit? I mean, I I assumed he was picking up the stuff for someone else. I just assumed that he was also being literally puppeted by that person. As opposed to figuratively puppeted with the the dot, with what is it called? The The dot matrix matrix printers. Dot matrix. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was super interesting. As far as the like the doppelganger situation goes, I was expecting this to become like an epic like like a secret invasion thing, not the TV show, but the comic. Where like it starts being revealed that there are already doppelgangers in place. So I was expecting more of like an mm. invasion as opposed to like this was a target this was a sniper. Yeah, like it, this he, was he, a this is a single know, guy being sent for a yeah, single purpose right. to manipulate us into this putting is, him where he needs to be. Yeah. yeah exactly yes so so how i deal with that sort of distinction on the mc side of things is basically every threat that exists has an idea of what it's what, what i write out is what that threat would do if you guys just pissed off and didn't <laughs> care about it <laughs> so that that's like the end of the clock for if you guys ignored what was going on with all the crandall ai stuff then they would start infiltrating the town they'd start replacing people and that would be your only experience with it would be like way too late mm-hmm. but you guys decided to interact with it much more early try to look for the tower met the yellow humvee people right. all that sort of stuff so they didn't get basically far along their gotcha. plan while other stuff you're ignoring oh like the boxcar children it's like a choose your own adventure of what thing's going to really screw you later i was about to say we can only focus on one thing so we can always progress the car that's track a little bit delay it for Oops, others parents are being tortured yeah. as we speak yeah but who knows what horrible things are happening that are just gonna <laughs> explode on us so that's i guess another I question like that. that i thought would be kind of fun to talk about because again i think this is all stuff that we might have talked about at a session but talking on it on air with everybody listening and uh just getting a peek around the corner i always find this kind of stuff interesting whenever i'm listening to a DD podcast or whatever is i like the talking about behind the scenes stuff because i'm basically this is like the first game i've played in a million years i am normally a forever dm so i like the dming peeking around and stuff but what big things have you planned that has occurred and what big things have you just pulled straight out of your ass so far i plan very little in general like the the main things i plan are scenes that i think would be cool and dramatic and fit apocalyptic media really well so like i always knew i was going to force you to actually commit violence on people through one of your visions i was like i didn't know when it could be anywhere but you gave me a good opportunity with a role that wasn't fully Mm. successful for me to do that and it ended up being the best that's a perfect timing for it that could have been a very lame time like there could have been some other lame it's a great fail it (laughs) It was a great time for a fail yeah so most of my planning is waiting for good moments like that to more naturally come up like something as big as the server room exploding i kind of knew that could be an option when i think between the session before that and then i i was like that would only happen if they fail super bad though which is exactly what happened i did not expect that at all i thought you guys were going to definitely be able to come back and book was right that that was exactly what (laughs) hickory wanted to work on anyway but i thought you guys were most likely just going to get like captured or something like that the cheese monster which you guys unfortunately call him was literally just supposed to be an example of things the psychic maelstrom crazy monsters that happen to spawn because of it are created from this weird environment that there's all this strange psychic energy passing around creating these horrific beasts so that was never intended to be a very big thing i was like i came up with it while you guys were in the sewers the first time and then it was definitely a heavy focus because i didn't make the connection between having a kind of (laughs) deformable face and there being an actual clone of someone which i think is a reasonable connection to so yes and i from my perspective I also felt like Book because he is that like he is that mystery obsessed person like he would not be able to let go of the monster that he saw it would haunt his dreams he needs to know why it's there like all this stuff so I was like no we we have to go back we have to go back because it's there. Yeah. And he can see it again if he wants to, and he does. Which I wanted you guys to do because I wanted you to fight it better. Yeah, we just, just kind of fled, kind of escaped crushed his fingers, and ran. Yeah, I thought that'd be a cool fight, but then you went back by yourself. <laughs> the one character who just cannot fight was left to fight. And- but I tried to, I guess this is one kind of tying back to the previous question and this one. It, that was one of the clues I kept trying to give, is I kept intentionally wording it from Vesuvius as horrors of the maelstrom instead of you experiencing the actual maelstrom Mm -hmm. when you had that confusion to try to get you guys to be like, what do you mean by that? Um, Because 
in a lot of people's minds, especially certainly Vesuvius's, that weird shit would just be a horror of the maelstrom, not necessarily you guys going into the maelstrom, which was one of the things you guys kind of hung on to was like, how did he know we were there? <laughs> I see. But to him, that's just, oh yeah, the weird monster with the crazy nails, that's a horror. And of the he maelstrom. knew that because he was made by the wolves of the maelstrom who saved me from the monster. Hey, and with that knowledge, you can throw more creepy crawly creatures at us and we'll now realize, okay, this is yeah. just a real horrible thing. Uh, oh, no, I've, I've been thinking of some new cool <laughs> There's creatures. There's a big octopus. I drew, I yeah, drew up a, a couple of concept somewhere. creatures that I sent us to as well. And I realized, I realized after the fact that there's literally a character, there's a character sheet that literally lets you create animals. Like, uh, where is it? I was yeah. just looking at it. And I was like, that should have been you, me. You almost played that class. You almost did. I, I was like, that would have been great because I could have come to stu- I could have come to each recording with like a new drawing of, <laughs> of something that we could fight. Wow, well, I can't remember with. what that one's called. It's a cool one. But th- no, that was your actual first idea yes. for a character, was that yeah. one. And then you ended up switching because you wanted to be more sleuthy. The rest yeah. of my, the oh. yes, yep. My first idea for a character was going to be a tinkerer. I was going to be a a tinker and i think i was gonna be like a female tinker too so i went in the complete opposite direction if you die that'd be yeah, really i went that way because yeah. when book created when literally just on the spot from uh i think we d- briefly discussed it and i was like that sounds like an interesting class but i still hadn't decided but um when when book basically was becoming like a less physical more smart more charismatic mm-hmm. dealing with people better can figure things out puzzle solve kind of person i was like okay we can't have two of those we can't have two of those. That's too boring. I so. think it would have been fine. I think it would have been fine because it would have put us into like really, we had would have had to get yeah, really Yeah, we wouldn't have been able to fight. But I think because I didn't make that situation, I have very, I'm very happy with the character I made. And we, the, yeah, I think our characters are. I'm very happy with our characters for this I game. I am too. Yeah, I like both of your characters a ton. I think the combination of your two playbooks is possibly the coolest where it's someone who's obsessed with mysteries and then someone whose whole background is mystery like that ties i think it's about to start tying together even more now that we're book is becoming more involved with oceans mysteries yeah i'm thinking of frida right now and i know you can't answer this but i i want to know why the fuck she took that thing so bad yeah just some background i told the players this afterwards but so that whole thing was because of a move that had a negative consequence forever ago i don't even remember specifically what move at this point but i never adjudicated it so i was just like i'm gonna move one of these ticks one of these threat things further along and that was what happened so i decided at that point to make that happen you guys will learn soon (laughs) okay it'll come up pretty quick okay that's cool (laughs) so how do you guys like the system in general apocalypse world i love apocalypse world i think it's great there any things you find annoying or i think Wish were done a little different. No, as far as the system itself, absolutely not. I think it's great. The thing that I find frustrating is that everything is sort of documented sporadically. So as far as like finding what you need and like tracking all of the different moves and sub moves. And I know that they account for that and they say like, hey, if this is too much, like don't don't even worry about it. But I'm I'm one of those people who like I like to make use of all of the things at my disposal and so like knowing that there are things on the table that I can't keep track of is frustrating. So we're playing a just kind of written addition to second edition so it's not even like a full ass thing there's a kind of annoying combination of the rules are anything we read in the rule book supersedes second edition but if not you have to go read second go edition back, yeah. to understand it so it makes it hard very easy to miss things and hard to know where those distinctions are i think the creator vincent baker said he's going to kind of i think there's a third edition maybe coming that should roll in some of these things i'm not sure i really hope there is and if there is i will get it and we can switch to it immediately but i like it i this is the first time i've played burned over uh i've played apocalypse world first and second edition before and like them a lot but i i like some of the changes he made in this they're all pretty in the weeds the reason i like them are all pretty in the weeds and technical but (laughs) i i like all the playbooks are cool most of the changes i think are positive i'd recommend anyone playing apocalypse world to just start with burned over and i would recommend more people to play it because it's super good you've been enunciating burned over really well i've been trying very hard i can tell because you pause for half a second before you say it that's all going to be edited out so i sound smooth and smooth (laughs) i i like a lot a little bit of crunch in my games i'll be honest i I do like that pathfinder second edition uh 3.5 D &D, that kind of stuff with the yeah i like that i like the crunch and doing stuff 
but I've always felt it doesn't really work very well in a visual medium, like in a non-visual medium, like over a podcast or stuff. I know there's a lot of like appeal for like D and D podcasts and stuff, but for me, the moment you pull out like minis, like grid or anything like that, it starts getting really hard to follow, especially combat when you're listening. So yeah, oh, I yeah, think no, combat can grind to a halt with a lot of D and D. Yeah. I hate the yeah. six second system. Yeah, so I I feel like purely one I do I do like the storytelling aspect of like RPGs probably more than anything else ultimately. So I love that on the uh, powered by the apocalypse systems. That's kind of the highlight. I like that it kind of forces you to have ties to the other players from the beginning. So many games, it's like it's just four completely unrelated people that are just there because they met in a bar and that's their connection with the apocalypse world. Everyone is kind of forced to have some tie to the other to make for an interesting, more interesting beginning. But also it's just, it's a lot easier to follow when you're listening. It's there's no dice. You don't really even have to pay much attention to the dice. You can just hear us groan and moan and complain when things go poorly. Yeah. The, the only thing I ever worry about are when there's like a list of things you can choose from, but I think we repeat them enough. And again, that doesn't really <laughs> matter that like, as long as you guys are saying what you're choosing, like it, like you couldn't if you didn't understand the system, you could just listen to us talking and be like, oh, they can answer, yeah. ask him any three questions. And they just happen to choose these three. Yeah. Ones. Each. Yeah, why are they wording them so dumb? Yeah, it's but so those much, are all from a list. Yeah. It just intrinsically leads better to like an auditory medium of Apocalypse World and Powered by the Apocalypse games, because it's just like a collaborative story. Yeah, I think it yeah. true. It's distilled down the most more than most other systems where it's just like a collaborative story and the DM has tools and the players has tools to kind of spur the story in whatever way they want. It's not really, it's very flexible yeah. and I like that yeah. a lot. Yeah. One of the things that I really like about it is that like the, the DM is exclusively adjudicating our roles as opposed to, you know, acting with, um, you know, his own, not his own agency, but you know what I mean? Where, whereas in D and D it's like, you're i'm rolling to hit you you're rolling to dodge then you're rolling to hit me and i'm rolling to dodge and then it all happened in the last six seconds but it has to happen in order so you know it just gets very it's like very yeah. uh, like i i appreciate the system i know why it exists but at the same time I'm like why does it have to be like i don't know i just feel like it that's not how things happen not that it has to be realistic but like that's not how it's not how it works I think you kind of hit on this for a second, but it made me remember one of the reasons I like. like so in, in D&D and all, most D20 systems, I can make a dragon that has plus 50 to hit you and it's going to hit you like you can uh, you can find enemies that are too strong for you and things like this. The way these systems are work, they're like completely self-balancing where you can take on whatever you want. And if you're good at your roles, it's going to be successful like it requires a kind of agreement with the players to not do absolutely insane mm. stuff, which that's why I chose you two specifically because I didn't think either of you would do that too often. But <laughs> I know that that can <laughs> that be a big ask in some. That can be a big ask in some of the D and D games I've played where people do try to do absurd things, even though because <laughs> that's I don't know. Like if you took some of those players and threw them in this system, I think it would not run well. It would be. You guys have like everyone has to agree you're trying to create a good story without having ideas for how that story's planned out. And let's just do things that make that happen, which yeah. to me is easier than d and I like like I mentioned, I plan very little of this out. I just have kind of a few ideas in my brain and it all rolls together and becomes solidified as we play. Like, oh, here's this new thing that there have been a few things that tie together and I should make a thread that fits that into one neat little bucket. While like running a module from a book to me is miserable and difficult. Yeah. And, hard. and I feel like I need to, my brain has to obtain all of the information in that book and then present it back in a good yeah. way, which I don't like doing. I think a really cool distinction as well is that like when in, in D and D when you break character and you're discussing like, Oh, what spell slots you have left and like all of this stuff, like it gets very um, like there's a lot of metagaming involved, and mm -hmm. I feel like it's really hard to do in Burned Over because you're just like, what is your, your what does your character want to do? You either do it or you or you don't. Um, and and when Jacob and I do sort of try to collaborate and like figure out what we're doing next, like it's usually honestly like I feel like ninety percent of the time we break character, it's for Rita situation roles, and I'm like, what do I want to know? What do we and want then, to figure out right, here? And the nice thing about that is that it's it works out of character because you're determining what you want your character to notice, not 
you know, necessarily, um, you know, the, the necessarily like the best action for them to take, you know what I'm saying? Like you hit it very clearly. And when the servers exploded and you're like, if I shot him in the chest, what did it have saw? I can't remember if I cut that from the oh, episode yeah. or not. I, no, I left it in. Yeah, I left it in. If I shot him in the chest, would it have been changed anything? And the real answer, like you said, is if you rolled good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you rolled a full success on streams. So what the fiction changes based on, it, like, it's easy to hear all this and go, choices don't matter. It's just how good you roll. But that's really not it, because the fiction does change and the actual situations you're in impacts what that success actually means shooting him in the chest is very different than tackling him but if you tackle him on a full success i'm probably not going to explode you to death even though that may make sense for exactly what's going on like there's a bomb counting down maybe he might have tackled him really well and that would have gave him a couple more seconds to get in pull the shirt off and see exactly what was going on and maybe tinker with something to defuse it or yeah yeah exactly it would be something like that where and if you shot him in the chest, maybe it would have, uh, like, a full success may have just stopped it, and a mixed success may have stopped it and killed right. him, which could have been <laughs> just as bad from yeah, your perspective as where we're sure. at now with an exploded thing and no proof of a weird Vesuvius. Yeah, we could have lost like our, our Vesuvius, well, I think it also, our fake Suvius. It's, it's the difference between, like, Vesuvius doesn't roll to hit, so it's like... My, 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 me rolling bad is the same thing as an enemy rolling well in D and D, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just a different interpretation of it. And I think that that also yeah. kind of circles back to like, sometimes no matter how hard you try, things don't go your way. So that's a really cool, I think we just talked about this recently off air, but that's a really cool self-balancing aspect of Powered by the Apocalypse, where as a DM, I can just ask for more and more rolls to make things harder and harder. <laughs> or easier. I used to do that <laughs> all the time. Ones. Yeah. Or, or less rolls to make it easier. I used to do that all the time in our Monster of the Week game, Jacob, where if a fight was yeah. <laughs> going too well, I'm just, well, make them roll yeah. more. <laughs> like, that happened very explicitly when you guys were trying to ex- escape after the exploded server room, where you guys only did one roll, but I did that intentionally because I knew the situation you guys were at. You both had one health. Any any mixed success basically meant you were going to be caught or dead, and then any full success means you got out. Or all of, if you only got full successes, that means you got out. So to me, it was a pretty binary result anyway. There's two places the story can go. They either escape or get caught or I guess die. <laughs> both die, <laughs> which is really the same as them both getting caught and they come back weirder. Because of that, I was like, okay, you're going to just do one roll to try to escape. So we don't have to do a roll for getting out of the fence. Do a roll for finding where the best place to go is. Do a roll for getting there without being seen. Like all that stuff isn't that interesting. Like, it, in some circumstances, it could be interesting. If you guys were completely healthy and trying to get out quickly, that's where tension can come from. But when you're on the edge of dying and one single mixed success causes you to get caught, might as well just make it one and see, is it this yeah. or the other? See what happens. both rolled over 10. Both killed it, which is not what I expected. I was completely ready for you guys to get caught. That was probably the best, luckiest roll that we we probably ever got. And I think last episode made up for it. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Speaking of, like, failures and stuff, that's another thing. And... In a lot of games, when you fail, it kind of drags things to a, a, gr- a grinding halt. Like that means you didn't do this something. You can't do it, or you failed at doing it. Um, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I a lot of uh, I think the different approaches have their different pros and cons. But in a in a system where the the rules are really just kind of meant to exist to kind of help you tell a collaborative story, the way Apocalypse Powered by the Apocalypse does it, where even failing a roll moves the f- plot and the story forward rather than changes things so no matter what happens something is going to occur that's going to make something go on like you could fail a role and still succeed in whatever the task you were trying to do was it's just now you have a huge problem that arised from you succeeding like instead like dnd try and kick down a door you roll your strength strength you get a poor sack you can't you can't break down the door you kick it thuds nothing happens this one, you try and kick down the door, you roll, you roll poorly. You kick down the door, it splinters and shatters. You now have the door open, but your leg has a gaping wound and everybody in the dungeon knows that you're there. Right. So. Yeah. Or, or like even worse, like in D&D, if you're like trying to kick down a door and your your party is just taking turns trying to kick down the door. <laughs> Everyone tries uh, to kick the door So open. it's just six you know, yeah. strength rolls right, in, a row, in a row. We just roll, we just entered a new dungeon room, everybody. Right. Take turns rolling perception checks. See what happens. Or exactly. <laughs> you're passing around your new item and everyone's rolling arcana, 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 arcana. <laughs> arcana. Can I read it? <laughs> and then as a DM for like D&D style games, I, I let my 
experiences with Powered by the Apocalypse certainly flavor the way I run games, but like two common DM issues in D&D are either the not being flexible at all with what your players want to do versus what you expected them to do. So, oh, my players want to go sneak through this dungeon and do like a heist versus when I expected them to kick in the door and try to kill these people. If they are trying to sneak and there's no way for that to happen and there's enemies where you had them set up for an actual combat and it just doesn't work, that's just you not being flexible, but that's kind of how the system's made, so it's not yeah. really your fault. And then DMs do the like quantum troll thing where yeah. <laughs> I want them to do a troll fight the left door, there's a troll behind it, or the right door, there's also a troll behind it. Yeah. Your choices don't actually matter. Where in these PBTA games, it's the opposite, where the players go, I want to try to sneak, and I rolled good on my sneaky. What is behind that door remelds to be <laughs> a good way for them to sneak through it? A sleeping yeah. three-headed so it's very interesting. And I, and I don't want this to be like a me shitting on D&D. Shit on D&D. I like yeah. D&D a lot. I love, I love D&D a lot. It's so much fun. Um, it's just has different strengths. Every system has different strengths and pros and cons. D and D is more crunchy. It's more, yeah. uh, playing. It feels more like you're playing an actual game. And I think that's the appeal. And the combat's way more crunchy. Yeah. I think that's the appeal of D and D is that you are physically sitting down and you're essentially playing an interactive board game, uh, storytelling kind of thing, which is fun. It's got its own appeal. It doesn't do as well in the storytelling medium because the rules kind of make it hard to do so. Um, you can still tell great stories with D&D. There is no system that you can't do anything you want, really. Um, it's just different systems make it easier to do certain things. Yeah. Just way the way rules are cut. If I really wanted to, I can do a D&D session where I haven't planned out a single thing. We do it powered by the apocalypse style. They, depending on their roles, things change and blah, 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 blah. They're rolling less. I make it so they have a consequence or they fail a roll. That means they still have move the start. You can do it, but it's just the rolls. It's a lot more stuff that you got to come up with on the fly than a system that's intrinsically designed to be come up with on the fly. So different pros yeah. and cons, different people like different yeah. things. You, you can never run a PBTA game where you wrote this wonderful, beautiful story with three act structure and the players hit this no, story no, beat and no. this story beat and this one. But you could do something like open D&D. I still would yeah. personally like to run and play it, but you yeah. could do. I that. think I think my yeah. my least favorite thing about uh, Apocalypse World is also my favorite thing about it, which is the um, the damage uh, clock. Um, I find it inconstrutable. I, I don't understand it, but at the same time, I love <laughs> my favorite thing about Apocalypse World is that your characters don't somehow get better at surviving the same amount of damage over time. Yeah, you know? like you can get armor, yeah. but like you. I guess like when I'm a child, I'm maybe more fragile than I am as an adult. But once once I'm once you're 20, you're pretty much as as sturdy as you're ever gonna get. Yeah, yeah. you're you probably get less exactly, sturdy as you get yeah. older. So <laughs> this may not be seamlessly cut into the rest of the episode because we just took a very long break. But we're back to talking apocalypse. A week and a day, baby. Anyone remember uh, what we were talking about? Nope. I don't. I still have I still have some questions that I've been accumulating, but I, I think heard, Jacob has. A yeah, question. I heard that Jacob had a very big question. I I was thinking this as I was walking out of work yesterday. I realized Frida doesn't like us very much, and I was like, "Why the hell does Frida not like us?" And Stu, you said something along the lines of it has something to do with something we did earlier. My theory, and mm -hmm. I don't know if you can confirm this or not because it's still technically plot relevant, but I'm just sharing it here. Is Frida mad at us because we broke? The Queen of Spades mind. That does tie into one of my questions, actually. I can't answer that fully. But is there anything uh, I've, I've gotten some questions about? Is there any, what are some major things you would take back if you uh, changed anything? Like if you made any blunders or mistakes that you regretted in the future? And I was interested <laughs> in your guys' opinions on that. Nope. <laughs> Nothing? I would take nope. back breaking the Queen of Spades mind. Nope. Yeah, that's uh, what I would take back to. She was a threat, and that. I handled it. I would take that back in a heart. I handled it. Book handled it, and the only way I he knows how. It. It's handled for sure. Is she is she still on the threat map? Yes. <laughs> Just a different type of threat. Oh God! I feel like now we have all the answers we want to give her. So maybe <laughs> maybe she'll go back to normal. Maybe. Maybe. And then I'll tell her a different secret. Oh, God. Tell them a different secret. No, I think the only things I regret are very not being harsher on you guys, probably. I but. agree with oh. that. 
Well, yeah, those are the only either. things I ever take back. What like would you say you would have been harsher on us in hindsight on of what mm, we did? Maybe, maybe more damage when that explosion happened. Oh, like, so you would have killed us both? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> we were both one. I think yeah, we were both I like, like where one it went away. from there. So I don't think it hurt anything, but I think it would have been interesting. Yeah, more sudden violence. I would say would probably be the only times I would ratchet things up. But I've liked where everything's gone with that, and I usually don't think about it too much. I don't like care if you guys are going to die because you can die a few times if... yeah it's honestly really generous how many times you can die yep so basically if you don't know the system very well which is almost everyone listening uh when you die just like book did previously yeah you basically can come back with a few different options and the one he took it literally is only a bonus it increases his weird most of them are more detrimental like you can lose hard i believe or you can come back as a different playbook um a lot of but... people already have that as a problem yeah Ooh. Damn. Ooh. Yikes. <laughs> We're definitely not getting sponsored by Hymns now. Or maybe we will be sponsored by Hymns now. Yeah. Another question we've been getting is what are we going to do after the story? Or usually framed in the way of don't stop recording. It feels like you guys are wrapping up towards something, which we're not, first of all. We're in the middle of. A bunch yeah, of crazy I was about to say, I don't think we're anywhere near wrapping anything oh, yeah. up at this point. I, I think, think we're less than halfway done. with. I would say we're like a third of the way done with the first part of Book and Ocean's story. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we haven't even really reached our inciting incident yet. Yeah, I... I, I think I, there have been some inciting incidents. I think, yeah, but like, yeah. The, like, like we have to go somewhere, and we haven't gone anywhere yet. Something has to, some, something has to motive, like, the, the, hero, the, the hero's call. We need, we need that. I, th- I swear I thought we were going to be exiled by Hickory. I thought that so was something I. that was going to happen when we... Well, I mean, that still very well could happen, considering what we have done. But I don't know why you guys want to leave Hamlet opening so much. I don't want to leave Hamlet opening. That's why I was that's 100% confident thing, you is You want to go exile. deeper. Yeah, and you want to yeah. go up. We both yeah, want to go exactly. Elsewhere. That's the thing. We have, to, we have to have the hero's call. We have to reject the hero's call. And then we have to get it again and take it. That is well, true. Have and then we have to do Star Wars. Uh, I think you couldn't be more wrong. <laughs> and then Obi-Wan is going to kill our parents and blame it on the stormtroopers. Oh, shit. I didn't hear that part of the Star Wars and story. And going to kidnap us and take us to Han Solo. This is a very different Star Wars than I remember. <laughs> Basically, the, the end of the story gets kicked off by the players, actually. It's one of your improvements is when mm-hmm. you can start unlocking a game changer, right? Yep. I Which think I think so, yeah. I, I am now able to do. Really? So, yeah. Because I have five improvements. Yep. So you can start getting those advanced improvements, and one of them is unlocking the game changer, which there are a lot of ways that happens, and it's not like you take that and the story ends, but a significant event basically happens. You move you move forward more quickly at that moment. So that kind of does put somewhat of a clock on it, but what's my plan for when that happens is we're going to just continue on to a different story maybe in a more different view of the apocalypse depending on where this goes but i plan on sticking with book and ocean past that probably yeah maybe you guys can change playbooks and stuff like that yeah because that is one of your um isn't isn't um oh yeah yeah, yeah. i think but one of the game changers is switch playbooks right no that's one of your advanced improvements so i think my absolute favorite game changer is that you pick the one that says the DM is now a player and now you are the DM. Yeah. That one sounds terrible to me. I hate it. <laughs> Jacob wants your jobs too. I do He's want your job. No, no. I figured job. I figured if we would ever I have no plans on replacing Stu. I figured if we ever had a like a like a, a season two or something like that in a different setting or something, maybe we could have a different DM in that case. But yeah, something that wouldn't that's on. not related to this story. Like Oh no, you return to a new playbook. You can do that when you die. Yep. You can also do it as an advanced improvement, I think. I don't. I can't. Maybe other players can. Okay. Another question we got is, uh, what's with all of the names of our episodes being random bullshit? Can you guys, <laughs> can you guys answer that? So I have really good ideas, and then Stu says, no, it has to be music-related, and then Jacob comes up with a great idea that's also music-related. Yeah, the, the thing, thing is, Stu and I have a lot of weird like knowledge about different musics and songs and stuff and we just like using music lyrics as titles and brady comes up with a clever title and we're like yeah but this music lyric is a little bit more relevant however however brady hurt, did come up with the hurt best by nine inch nails was all me that was a great yes. one that was and that was actually was... our first music title one i think and also our best one 
is really good. Yeah, I will say all of our music titles actually do tie into the stuff that's going on. Yeah. So if you don't know the song, just listen to the song. Listen to whatever song our just title Google is. Google the and... lyrics and then somehow do that thing that um, people who like read minds do and just make it fit. Yeah, you can make anything fit to anything. I'm looking at our titles right now yeah. and only a couple weird ones jump out. Pompeii was really good. Yeah, Pompeii was uh, Jacob's idea, which was yeah. my second favorite one after Hurt by Nine Inch Nails. I do all the mid ones. And it's usually because I have to come up with the title right before we publish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, usually I bet it's probably like three o'clock in the morning. You're like, for the love of God, I just want to go to sleep. I'm so tired of listening to these two guys' voices. Do you guys remember when we did an intro once and then never did it again? What do you mean? When did we do an intro? It was the... Uh, oh, your intro thing. Yeah. Your legal... This podcast is not, you know... Does yeah. not represent whatever. Blah, oh, blah, that was blah, a funny blah. little gag. I thought it was funny, except Stu slowed it down and my voice sounded fucked up. You slowed your voice down. No. I deepened yes. my voice. You're George Takai in it? I did my best George Takai impression. I did not slow it down. Oh, <laughs> maybe it was the mic problem. Yeah, that was all you. I don't know what you're talking about. You did slow it down, though. We can do more intros as long as uh, they're very good and we record more ahead so we have time to actually <laughs> edit them. That's the problem. I like that. Oh, uh, we were we were so good at the start because I th- I remember we'd make jokes about how far ahead we had recorded in episodes. We'd be like, "Yeah, wow, that was such a that was a something that just happened and didn't just happen three weeks ago." Now we do just in time recording. Now we literally we record day the same day we're releasing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, same day. God, we've become so lazy. We do Azure VM just in time recording. <laughs> Uh, our second worst title, I won't say the worst one because it's uh, throwing shade on one of my co-hosts here. You can but say Our it. second worst one is Watch Me Explode, which I just did because I thought it was funny and no one else is going to get the joke of it being the code in Tony Hawk Pro Skater 4 to unlock every single character in God Mode. <laughs> while also being a reference to the ACDC song, which does fit what the episode is. It did, but yeah. No, I'm you sure can say, say the worst one. The worst one is Speak Softly. Which yeah, that is the worst. Is, one. I would agree with that. I liked that one. I didn't come up with that one. I will. I will say I'm not the one that liked that title because I came up with it. I don't remember which one of us came up with it. I'll be 100 percent honest with you. But I think I, it was me. Oh damn! That was our most exciting episode, and it's such a boring title. I and thought it was it a pretty mostly breaks our chain of music reference. I'm sure there's a song called "Speak Softly" by someone, but that was not an intentional choice, and I hate it. <laughs> I don't know. I think it sounds kind of cool. I think it's a cool contrast between the stuff that occurred and, you know, usually say speak softly, carry big stick, which is, I think, probably why we I think we should. That. I think if we put ellipses at the end, it would have been better. If it was speak softly, dot, 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 then people would be like, and carry a big stick. Yeah, well, I but don't get everyone. It. We, you threw a shovel. Yeah, it's a big stick, though. <laughs> it's, it's a, a big, big stick. stick with a knife at the end, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I I like that. I like how like it's a very ominous sounding title to me. Yeah. Like. Yeah. I think that's why I was okay with it at the time because it's to me it sounded very ominous. But in retrospect, looking back, I was like, "What episode is this?" When I see it, and then I read the description, I'm like, "Oh, that was my favorite episode." Every gun <laughs> is just a big stick that also shoots little sticks. Yeah. So I want to talk about that. So the reason I thought thought of speak softly because like that episode we were supposed to be negotiating. You know, so the idea is it's supposed to be all bluff, all threats. Nothing was supposed to go, was nothing was supposed to go violent. Yeah. And then everything went violent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. I no, mean, I think I, it's, I it, personally like that title a lot. I've called it Shake It Off, parentheses, Taylor's version. <laughs> and I think that would have been a better title. <laughs> that would have been, that would have been kind of humorous for a not very funny episode, though. Yeah. Yeah, that was our least funny episode, but also my favorite until episode 20, which was both funny and awesome yeah we were spitting hot fire last episode. i liked episode 20 a lot that is our new floor every episode has to be better than that so good luck everyone except for this one because this one's definitely not gonna be as good oh we could have called it so i'm just looking through my playlist and i just scroll to this one and it just jumps out to me because it's kind of a menacing sounding title but it actually has relevant it's kind of relevant too and it is familiar patterns by pup save it write it down pup yeah Save that, it down. Write it down. That's a great one for that. I'm gonna go rechange the title. Of <laughs> rechange. It's just change, Stu. No, rechange. It's not rechange. Did you change it before? Yeah, to a bad title. It used to be called Episode Ten. <laughs> I <think I> called <laughs> the worst title, which yes. is Speak Softly. It's fucked up, dude. Maybe we should just go back to just numbers. <laughs> 
that's what one of my oh that's a good question i don't think we got this one but um one of my favorite podcasts does that which is empty bowl which is a meditative uh podcast about cereal cereal yeah not not cereal the original og podcast but cereal the crunchy breakfast food that you what know the hell love. crunchy and or soggy it is very relaxing. They just talk about cereal. It's the two most knowledgeable people on cereal of all time. And there's good, soft ocean sounds in the background. I listened to 20 episodes while flying over the Atlantic Ocean one time, and it was wonderful. <laughs> so, what is I so... don't even eat cereal very much, but I still find it incredibly interesting just because they're so knowledgeable about it. I find it very fun. So Our podcast also has soft ocean sounds. Yeah. You have and me gasping in <gasps> anytime I even slightly get stressed i roll my dice and go <laughs> so what podcast do you guys like that was my recommendation we're allowed to give recommendations this episode because it's uh, not on the official normal chain of episodes so we don't need to get paid for it <laughs> i listen to many podcasts but my favorite probably three my, my original podcast the podcast that got me the podcast was the weekly planet it's an australian podcast about movies and comics and tv shows and video games it's very good it's very fun um that then introduced me to the anti donna podcast which is um a podcast by a australian comedy sketch group who also has a youtube channel and also has a netflix show and also has an a show on the australian broadcasting channel and their guest their guest episode with hello from magic tavern is one of my favorite hello from magic tavern episodes it's, it's so very funny good. it's very funny it doesn't make any sense but it's very funny um and then my my recent my uh my latest and probably favoritist uh podcast is um dungeons and daddies which is uh, a better role-playing game podcast than ours i still need to listen to dungeons and daddies it's very i didn't know we were allowed to give three so i'll give two more real quick which is uh hey riddle riddle is amazing it's mostly improv comedy but they also do some riddles a third one i will also listen to 20 billion podcasts but uh for something D&D related that's way different. Listen to Sitcom D&D, which is technically a D&D podcast, but they frame it all as sitcom episodes and kind of plan out like the theme for the episode. So the actual mechanics of the game are by far the least important thing. It's almost entirely improving a sitcom episode with various dice rolls, but it's very interesting in a super different way to play in an entertaining way. So I think it's a good thing to watch for people who get kind of mired down in mechanics and the importance of things like that. So role-playing game podcasts. My favorite is the original Glass Cannon podcast. It's a Pathfinder 1E podcast, and that's kind of was the first role-playing podcast I listened to. I liked that one because it felt very authentic to real D&D compared to something People actually playing it. Yeah, yeah it's compared to something like Critical Role, which is very kind of staged. It's not staged. Critical Role is very much them really playing D&D, but the production value in Critical Role is so high. And yeah, and the, the skill of the players, they're very thematic. Yeah, because they're all trained voice actors. So uh, the Glass Cannon podcast, the original one, they, they have a bunch out now. I haven't really listened to very many of them because they kind of get more and more produced as they go. Um, kind of more like Critical Role. But the original one, it's just a bunch of guys and they they play D&D. &D, they make the same dumb mistakes. They make the same dumb jokes that we all do. They all just randomly start talking about random things going on in their day. It's, it just feels very authentic to actually playing D&D, &D, and I liked it a lot. Um, the first podcast that actually got me into podcasts was a podcast called The One Piece Podcast, which oh I, I loved One Piece back in the day. I was a huge, huge, huge One Piece fan, and I listened to that podcast all the damn time. Uh, if you really like One Piece, it's a great podcast. I love the hosts. I still listen to it every once in a while, even though I don't uh, actually really read it, keep up with it very much these days, just because I liked I liked their banter. But I'm not going to really count that one in my three because that's such a specific and niche podcast that you have to be into a very specific and niche thing to do it. So <laughs> two like stretchy people exactly, which I very much do. But the two. <laughs> The two podcasts I think I would recommend actually for people to listen to, unless you like One Piece and then watch that one because it's good, is the uh, there's a podcast called Bits and Bricks, which is a Lego podcast. It's kind of like a mini series. It wasn't really like it's I think it's already over, but it was some it was like some big Lego folks 
that were behind several of the Lego original Lego games. And it's a podcast about them talking about the production of those games and how they're made and behind the scenes stuff. And it's really interesting. Uh, if you like Legos and you like the Lego games, like Lego racers, Lego rock Raiders, that kind of stuff that it was, it was Lego it was, star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was, that's a good one. And uh, another thing I'm going to reveal about myself here is I'm a big fan of the SCP foundation. Ever since I was in middle school, I've been reading those little articles. Oh, I do know about this. It's the spooky one. It's spooky Wikipedia. It's fake spooky Wikipedia. Yeah, fake spooky Wikipedia. It's like the X-Files on crack. I would love that. I would love that. There's a podcast that I like called SCP Real to Real, which is an easy listening one because each episode is only like between five to ten minutes because it's basically just him going through and um, reading and talking about one scp article some of them can be really long some of them are really short so it's just a really bite-sized digestible one to um to listen to just while you're going and it's produced pretty regularly and it's less the pop there's like a ton of scps that are super popular that everybody knows about and a lot of these are just he just picks ones that sound cool and interesting so nice that's how i read them yeah just random random roll it sometimes you get some real stinkers if you do that though (laughs) (laughs) yes Okay, are there any final questions, comments, ideas, theories? Let's see. I wrote down some. Let's pull out my phone here. I'm going to hate editing this so much. I'm going to love listening. Did you find your list, Jacob? I didn't. I don't know where the fuck my questions went. Okay, well, they'll have to wait till next 20 episodes. I had a note that was called questions for Stu. Where the fuck did they go? Well, I guess I have no more questions because my questions have deleted themselves from existence. Well, then this will be the last time anyone hears the actual Stu talking for 20 more episodes, and I will go back to the character playing as Stu <laughs> for all of our recording. The artist formerly known as Stu. That made sense. Yeah. yeah. That was good. I'm going to have to cut out a bunch anyway. Might as well cut out. <laughs> oh, my um, God. But we'll see you all in the actual episodes. Hopefully this was not absolutely terrible and I'm able to edit into something listenable in a reasonable amount of time. I'm we will excited see. to take a listen to it because I bet it's going to be great. I can't wait to see what we said last week because I don't remember. I don't remember either. I remember there's a lot of us shitting on D&D. Yeah, we take back all of that. We all love D&D. Wizards of the Coast, please send us money. We'll sponsor, sponsor us, please. No, we're going to have to send them money. Oh, fuck. That's right. Yeah. So who has a dramatic way to end this episode? You're one of them. We can't use the same cliffhanger two episodes. <laughs> uh, Stu oh. is one of them. Love you, bye. <laughs>